welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. Boy, oh boy, do we have a firecracker of an episode today. I am so excited that we are talking about Roberta Finlay's hardcore horror masterpiece, A Woman's Torment from 1977. I'm guessing that there will probably be some people surprised that we're doing an episode on a hardcore film because I feel like there are sort of two categories of cult movie fans. Category number one is like us, especially like John and I, who I think sort of view them similarly as other cult movies and don't specifically put them into this specific independent category that is to be looked down on. And then there are the people who are like, why would you want to watch a sex film from the 70s? And if you're that person, I totally get it. But there's so much fascinating stuff going on in hardcore films in New York in the 70s in particular. And you have to understand that with sexploitation in the 60s, there was this really great turning point because of things like Last Tango in Paris and this huge change in censorship laws that finally allowed people to legally make films with hardcore sex. And I know the term porn gets tossed around a lot. When we say hardcore, we're specifically referring to films with scenes of graphic penetration. So not softcore movies where you see people naked or mostly naked, but the sex is just kind of implied. And because of that boom and that permissiveness, you had people who weren't just doing these kind of stag loops that you see on Pornhub, but people were making actual films with actual talented casts and crews, real stories, using genre, and that's how we get A Woman's Torment. It's a fucking horror movie. I kind of, I've always watched these movies is like oh i'm seeing like new york city regional filmmaking and sometimes i kind of fall into that and then 10 minutes into it this dude just takes his huge cock out i'm like oh yeah this is also a porn hell i forgot yeah it's no, <laughs> happened to me so many times yeah, that's my favorite part about watching these movies is that it's just it's a whole fucking vibe you know you get a sense of the time and place better than than when you're watching say taxi driver it's more Abel Ferrara than Martin Scorsese. Absolutely. Oh, I was going to say Taxi Driver is some reserved prude shit compared to <laughs> yeah. most of the movies we're talking about. And also something to keep in mind, especially since we're discussing a 1977 film today, as hardcore gets to the late 70s in particular, you start to see this dark tone creep into a lot of the films. And... That, I think, has to do with a lot of what was going on economically in New York when the city was just a horrible place to live, but there was a lot of creative freedom. There's just this like sense of nihilism in a lot of these later movies, which, of course, by, let's say, 83, 84, all of this goes away because of HIV and because of porn direct-to-video, which pretty much ruined the careers of everyone we're going to be talking about today. And the person we're going to be talking about most today is Roberta Finlay, the director of A Woman's Torment, among many, many other classics that I'm sure we're going to touch on at some point. How did you guys first hear about Roberta Finlay? And who is she? A mad woman who would be disgusted that we're doing a podcast on her career because yeah. <laughs> what makes Roberta so interesting is she pretty much looked down on her career and just got interested in things like lighting and cinematography and wanted to keep making movies. And this at the time was the only way that she could afford to keep making movies because in her own words, she's really bad at fundraising and didn't want to put the effort in. So she just, even though she hated sex, presumably, she just made a bunch of hardcore movies. How did she fall into it? I would imagine her husband. Well, 
Sort of. So when she was about 16, going to City College in New York, and of course, already at 16, she's in college. So she has such a fascinating life. But she grew up in the Bronx in a Jewish family, and her parents really pushed her to become a classical musician. They wanted her to be a concert pianist. And when you hear her talk about herself, it's almost like she just is swept along on the tide of life and kind of just went along with whatever anyone told her she should do. And so she meets this total psychopath, Michael Finlay, who's way older than her. He was teaching film, I think, at the time, or at least was involved with the university in some capacity and had organized this silent film festival and asked her to accompany the films with piano playing and she had never heard of silent film and got super into cinema because of him and he was a disturbed person and something that Roberta said in interviews is that she thinks he probably would have become a serial offender if he hadn't made some of the films he made and I don't know how many of his movies you guys have seen, but things like the Flesh trilogy from the 60s, it's like they're some of the first roughies ever made. And literally all of his films, maybe not literally all, but 90% of his films star him as this guy who is like the original cult movie incel. He's just so fucking mad about lesbians Whoa. in particular. He's mad about women enjoying sex. And so a lot of these movies are about him being slighted by some woman, often a wife. He loses his shit and goes on a killing spree. And like the ultimate degenerates is one about a guy who's a peeping Tom and he spies on this lesbian couple and then decides like, well, they shouldn't be making each other come. So now I'm going to have to torture them in some way. It's, they're all insane. I, I watched a, or I listened to an interview with uh, one of his collaborators and after they made the movie, they would make like the promotional materials and Michael Finlay never really wanted to be the narrator, but the I forget the his collaborator his collaborator's name right now, but he kept pushing him because he's like you're perfect because for whatever reason, when you're describing like the violence and the nudity, your voice just goes like an octave lower, and you can tell like the serial killer look goes on your face. Yeah. He's like, yeah, and then the man has to stalk the woman and get her. Yeah, he sounds like the perfect avatar for 42nd Street and the grindhouses and like the sex theaters. It's a weird, alluring thing to think about. I mean, especially for me, because I wasn't alive during that time. But I remember growing up when I first would come to Philadelphia, we'd take the train in. And as soon as you like walk over the bridges heading into Center City, there was this incredible looking porn theater called the forum and it had to walk by it every time and i always kind of got like each time i got a little closer to it you know i mean right. i was like 15 16 i was just like kind of like peep the posters see what they had on the marquee and it's just this thing that is gone now and at the time really reigned supreme in new york city it's it's funny if you think about it because porn had two things that killed it. First was video, and then twenty years later, the internet. It was yeah, like, yeah it's like porn video something that just keeps on dying but is never going anywhere. Yeah, right. Well, I do think something I was saying earlier about how HIV also killed it. What I meant by that was the particular people who are like the core group of performers associated with these films, some of whom you see in A Woman's Torment, but almost all of whom Roberta worked with at some point, they represent this kind of New York 70s permissive lifestyle. Like people like Jamie Gillis, who we love, and we will definitely talk about some of his films in future episodes. But this idea that these people were in movies not because they were poor, tortured, manipulated figures, which is a whole thing with Deep Throat that we can talk about some other time. But like they were people who were down to fuck and party and yeah. were on yeah. some quaaludes and were hanging out at disco clubs. And what I meant by HIV killed that is I think the culture associated 
with a lot of this, like John said, regional filmmaking, that went away. And I think something that you see in so many of Roberta's films that I find endlessly fascinating is she said herself she finds filming sex distasteful it's so on some level it's like if you don't like sex or at least you don't like watching other people have sex why would you become a prolific hardcore director at a time when there are almost no other women directors but she did get sucked into this world by michael finlay although i can't imagine what it must have been like to be married to that psychopath when you're like 16 or 17 She clearly, even though she often talks badly about herself or sort of talks down about herself, she was a fucking teenager on these roughy film sets, learning how to do the lighting, learning how to do the cinematography, doing those voiceovers sometimes when it called for a female character acting. Yeah. One of the most remarkable things about uh, Michael Finlay and Roberta Finlay's films, uh, especially their, their porn films, their hardcore movies, is... The sound design is really well done. I mean, most of the the few horror movies that I have seen, the sound is something they just put in in post, and it's not something they even consider while they're shooting. And in this, you can tell there was a certain level of care, pr- care, and well, at least professionalism. And I think what's so interesting to me is. So Roberta starts off making these grindhouse films with Michael up unto about maybe like 1969, 1970 or so, and pretty much got to the point where she had enough. So she up and left him. Didn't even, I don't even think she told him she was leaving. She just moved out and moved in with some other guy. And she just said, you know, I just needed to escape. And so the interesting thing is she didn't actually start making like proper hardcore films until after she left him. Wow. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. And so it's like it really I think people often conflate their careers and just assume, you know, this woman got sort of roped in by this crazy person she married. But I think she just really got a taste for the cinematography and that sound design that you mentioned and the lighting. Like she talks about how lighting is one of her favorite things, but it just is so crazy to me that like you would decide like, well, all right, I don't really have a career. I left my collaborator, but she was working with, and I think this is the person that you were talking about, John. She was working with one of Michael Finlay's producers And I think he is who helped her get funding for some of her early hardcore films that she made by herself. And she just sort of went on from there. And we'll have to talk a lot at some point about Walter Sear, who was her partner by the time she made A Woman's Torment. And he is an incredible figure who I didn't realize until more recently is just this really influential person in music electronic music recording has a really famous recording studio and has this whole like mainstream life but teamed up with roberta i want to say in like the early to mid 70s and they were partners for decades until he died in the early 2000s but it just is also amazing to me that here's this guy who has this really successful mainstream career but who also just wants to make porn films <laughs> well, who, who doesn't you know let's be honest it's a dream job a thing to point out though about her being involved with uh, hardcore movies was in the 70s this was a good way to learn the craft of movie making i mean wes craven was doing the same exact thing yeah jamie gillis uh robert kerman they all had real acting well maybe not so much jamie gillis but i know he's got some cameos yeah i don't think jamie was interested in mainstream acting unless he could fuck people right i I, but (laughs) but i know robert kerman like that's what he really wanted to do but he found an audition for porno movies and realized, oh, I can make some money doing this while I'm driving a cab. And eventually, I think he he ended up in a Richard Dreyfuss movie or something, but that was it. He never really, not too many break out into the mainstream. No, and it's so frustrating because I think there 
is this tendency to put porn into this horrible category all by itself. And if you're in porn, you you can't be in anything mainstream. And we talked about this a little bit in our Gates of Hell episode. This idea that so many people into mainstream cinema have that horror movies are sort of dirty and they're in their own category. And if you're if you're making horror films, you can't make anything else, which, of course, as we have said and will say again, is certainly not true in places like Hong Kong. But in the 70s, there was this like little window where you could be involved in hardcore films and more conventional cinema. And you even have filmmakers like Jean Rollin in France, who also made many hardcore films, basically all of which I watched at one point, and it was it was an adventure. But he was someone who felt really strongly about using hardcore actors in non-hardcore films and giving people a chance to really right. stretch their wings, so to speak. Going back to Abel Ferrara, he made... How many porno movies? Just a few? Just a few. Uh, the one that you should definitely check out, and I feel like I have to plug myself right now, but he, the first like f- actual feature he made is this movie called Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy that Vinegar Syndrome put out a year or two ago. I am so honored that I got to do the commentary for it, but if you look it up on the Vinegar Syndrome site, and I highly recommend the film... It says a film by Jimmy Boy L, which is Abel Ferrara's pseudonym. (laughs) And speaking of pseudonyms, Roberta has about a million of them. Most of them are men's names. Uh, But Ferrara really distanced himself from his early porn films. And so he wouldn't let them release it with his name on it. But it's a fucking Abel Ferrara film. And he's in it in some sex scenes. Yeah, it's surprising that they that he even allows studios to release his new movies under his name. <laughs> That's mean. He has that great quote where he's like, he's making the porno movie. It's his girlfriend and some guy who's like smacked out on heroin. He's like, yeah, I'm paying this guy to fuck my girlfriend. He can't even get a hard on. <laughs> yeah, there's a very different vibe from... Abel's movies and these 70s movies just because I think the drug use is different and certainly that's not true of all the performers but at least what we're seeing here in Roberta's movie. I I feel there's a big difference between the East Coast New York City ones and the West Coast one. I feel like the West Coast ones are a lot more fun and upbeat. Living in the West Coast was probably a lot more fun and upbeat. Right. Yeah, you got the sun. Yeah, I guess I guess you're far away from that like New England puritanism. I think also just what we were saying earlier about how New York City in the 70s and even into well into the 80s was just such a specific place. I mean, there are so many great films that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on this podcast. Things like that go way beyond taxi driver, like, like don't go in the house and cruising and maniac that capture this sense of just brutality. Like violence could break out at any moment. I mean, in New York in the seventies, they had this crazy serial killer epidemic that people like Bill Lustig have written about. Like it's nuts. Chop off. Charlie was in, you guys know about chop off Charlie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who's Chop Off Charlie? It was, I think he was a Latino guy who tried to castrate as many black children as he could. Mm, yeah. Chop Off Charlie. Chop Off Charlie. Oh, I mean, that wasn't his real name. It's not like, Do- I, yeah. yeah, it's not like Doctor Strange where like his name was Doctor Strange and then he got magic powers. There's that <laughs> anecdote about how the serial, so there's this gay serial killer whose story is told in Cruising Apparently, the actual serial killer makes a cameo in a William Friedkin movie. He's in the, he's in the Exorcist. Yeah. He's in the, um, when Linda Blair is getting all the tests. He's the anesthesiologist. Yes. And that's, like, the Exorcist has a real serial killer in it. And speaking of serial killers, A Woman's Torment is sort of a serial killer movie. Yeah. So this is according to the back of Vinegar Syndrome's stunning 2K Blu-ray release. Don and his wife, Francis, have been struggling in their marriage. Francis's mentally ill sister, Karen, who lives with them, is taking a toll on their romance, and as such, they have been considering having her committed to an asylum. 
Upon hearing their plans, Karen decides to stay at the family's empty house on a remote beach. But slowly, her grip on reality diminishes, giving way to increasingly violent delusions and an ever-growing bloodlust. Roberta Finley's Tribute to Repulsion, A Woman's Torment, is a -a one-of-a-kind blend of melodrama, explicit sex, and proto-slasher. What do you guys think? Does that kind of sum up the movie? It definitely doesn't really get into the finer details of the film, but eh, broad strokes, that's it. I mean, it's basically repulsion at the beach with people fucking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And not always very happy about it, aside from Karen, the main character. I mean, the opening scene, it, it really does set the stage for the movie. It's the kind of the main husband and wife the character. psychiatrist and the, his wife. Yeah. They're, they're fucking and clearly... <sighs> She's just not getting off. No. I touched you. I just made love to you. How am I hallucinating? <laughs> Wrong, my friend. You just masturbated inside of me. <laughs> ah, the burdens of Hercules. Come on, Estelle. I'm sorry you didn't have a orgasm, but it's not the end of the world. Look, we'll talk about it later. But she has this great line where she says, you're just using me to masturbate. And to hear somebody have that sort of frank dialogue, no beating around the bush, pun intended, in the 70s about sort of marital discord and like this woman wants to have sex too. Like she's not just there for her husband to use her as some sort of receptacle. And the thing that I love about Roberta is... She rarely gives interviews, but when she does, if anyone tries to ask her if she's a feminist or about the feminist messaging in her works, she basically says, fuck you. And is like, no, I'm not a feminist. I never was. I don't like women. I don't like children. It's, it's, it's incredible. But despite the fact that she says those things over and over again, in A Woman's Torment specifically, but in so many of her films, they're often about female characters in these awful social situations in bad relationships they're just dissatisfied by their sexual lives and often it's the fault of the men in their lives and they they feel like they're prisoners who have to break out of jail basically yeah and speaking of prisoners who have to break out of jail uh karen played by tara chung in this film such a heartbreaking character she's basically the dirty secret of the couple who when they have their dinner party everyone's asking oh where's karen your sister hey friend i hear your stepsister's come to live with you karen isn't it oh yes she's here oh where well um she's not feeling very well and she's upstairs resting karen's just sitting in this room holding a doll in one hand and a pair of scissors in the other, just tapping them against her leg, clearly contemplating some sort of violent fantasy in her head. And when she does overhear that they're thinking about sending her to a mental institution, she breaks out, and the rest of the movie kind of plays out at this beach house that was was shot in Fire Island, a wonderful, like, gay nude beach in New York City. And from there, it does play out as, as repulsion. She gets into the shower, and it's this very Hitchcockian scene where she's having this fantasy of being murdered by someone while showering. And, and the soundtrack, it keeps doing bird noises or, or, like, just crazy fucking shit. It's Walter Sear at it again, which I didn't realize until we started talking about doing this episode that fucking Walter Sear, as crazy famous as he was, also did the score for Let's Scare Jessica to Death, and there are a lot of similarities between that one and this one. And speaking of those kinds of similarities, so if you haven't seen Let's Scare Jessica to Death, it's not a hardcore film. It's basically one of the only American folk horror movies, I would say, but it's similarly about a disturbed woman who's kind of losing her mind in this house in the middle of nowhere. But what you were saying earlier about Karen being locked in this bedroom is, I think, totally a reference to the gothic novels of the 18 and 1900s, 
where women are locked in an attic or kept yeah. away. And even though Roberta's making all these, you know, low budget sexploitation and hardcore movies, there are so many literary references in her films. Like even the the really, really cheap hardcore ones that barely survive, she's got like voiceover narration in almost all of them and reads things like Greek tragedy and like French poetry. So there's just so much going on here. To go back to your what you're saying, though, uh, about her other movies, I watched Primeval and Lurkers on that neat Vinegar Syndrome double disc. Both of them have that Rosemary's Baby. There's a woman who has no control over her fate whatsoever. It's all these like sinister plots are going on all around her and she has no control. And there's gaslighting going on. Like they're always like, oh, you're just imagining things. And that's like the Oracle, which is probably my single favorite Roberta horror movie. It's like the same sort of thing where it's this woman who she and her husband move into a new apartment in New York and her awful husband just gaslights her the entire time and kind of drives her crazy. But the apartment building is also haunted and it's it's that same sort of thing that just shows up. It's like I I get that she wasn't intentionally planning to do any of this, but to deny that there are these kinds of feminist themes in her films. And like, I'm not someone who really has always considered myself much of a feminist. So it's like, if I can see it, come on, Roberta. Yeah. And Sam, you've done commentary tracks for hardcore films. And John, last summer when we watched Baby Rosemary... I heard you mumbling shit under your breath the whole time. So I consider both of you to be, oh, okay. you know, sort of, if not experts, at least well-versed in the subject of hardcore films. That was just me grunting. Yeah, <laughs> baby, I'm sorry, but Baby Rosemary's kind of hot. It that that is. funeral home orgy scene is, is terrific. What specifically is it about a woman's torment that you think makes the film so unique? For me, at least, I like a lot of the hardcore horror movies, Water Power, Hardcore is a cool one. There's there's quite a few, but this is the only one that actually seems mournful and creepy and kind of depressing. It's closer to to Don't Go in the House yeah. than it is to Maniac. Totally. It it's more interested in unsettling the audience than it is in arousing them. Right. It, you know, I, I love Water Power, but it has like that male rape fantasy thing going on. While all the sex scenes in A Woman's Torment are sad or or desperate kind of. Totally. Yeah. Even the consensual sex scenes have that feeling. One of the, the ones that stands out to me the most is these like two characters that show up about halfway through the movie just to kind of like add to the body count. It's this blonde dude and his girlfriend and they're having sex on a boat. And even though they're unrelated to the entire plot, they're just you can tell they're not really into it, into it. And they're so not into it to the point where they have to fucking bust in a straw. And like, I don't know what they were doing, but they were like squirting fake cum out of this straw that was next to this guy's like half limp dick just to get the scene over with. Yeah, Roberta Finlay said uh, many times the sex scenes were the things she was the least interested in. Yeah, she hated shooting them and admits to like, she just like put the camera down and said, okay, now fuck. And... I think, so if you haven't seen any of her other films, I do think some of them have scenes that are pretty hot. And I think the reason for that has nothing to do with Roberta. So she has admitted that, especially when she was working with Walter Sear, they sometimes would hire kind of like unit directors, basically people who liked shooting sex scenes. And I think when she worked with some of the bigger name actors, like she made a ton of films with CJ Lang she made films with people like Eric Edwards, a couple with Jamie Gillis. And so when you put those people behind They know the camera, what they're doing. Yeah, they yeah, know you, how to make it look hot. You don't got to tell them, you know, where to put their fingers. They know where to put their fingers. The the Woman's Torment uh, Blu-ray has a, has a commentary with her. And she brings up about how she actually got an award from the Adult 
Film Association of America for like best erotic scene. And she's like, I have, and she's like, I have no idea how I did it. I must have been very drunk. The Adult Film Association of America is the perfect fucking opposite of the MPAA. (laughs) I mean, she also worked with people like John Holmes a lot. I mean, she so she sort of made two different types of hardcore films and i this kind of goes back to answering your question earlier about what makes this unique she did make a lot of porn comedies they're often like set in hospitals or in offices where there's some sort of problem and the only solution is to have sex with everyone oh yeah which is so good there's one i forget what it's called uh i think it's called slip up it's this Jamie Gillis one where he's this doctor and is doing some kind of experimental medicine, but he accidentally gives everyone in the trial a boner and they won't go away. <laughs> <laughs> so she does have funny movies. And I think when she's working with people like Eric Edwards, who is hilarious in things like water power, like he's just great at doing comedy. And also, John Holmes is really funny. And Roberta said that she loved working with him because of that. She seems to really enjoy shooting movies. And it's not that all of, I mean, it's certainly not that all of her scenes are static because they're absolutely not. It's just that some of her, her hardcore scenes are. But she has this quote, by the time you stare at the act of sex for long enough, it becomes totally abstract. You don't know what you're looking at. And it's like a pole against a totally out of focus background. The depth of field is two inches either way. You don't know what it is. It's modern art or abstraction. So she would reuse some of these close-up scenes in multiple films. Well, so that's common practice. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That, that's a totally standard thing where... Uh, so we were talking about Baby Rosemary, John Hayes, the director of that film. He has... A, like, if you look at his like IMDb listing or you look at Roberta's IMDb listing... There are some movies in there that are not standalone films and they're basically assembled from outtakes from the actual films. Like there's this one called New York Women, which she was working on a project with John Holmes and New York Women is just like basically what's on the cutting room floor. So that that's a super typical thing, which was done to help them make more money. And especially if they were being mob financed, it was like a little extra revenue for them but the second type of movies she made are those sorts of things that we're talking about with a woman's torment where they're just kind of tragic and melancholy and so I don't want to be the curmudgeon here but I don't know that a woman's torment really is all that unique like I love it and I think it's great and I think it's fascinating that there is basically this hardcore version of repulsion but in terms of porn in the 70s and even roberta's own career there are some other things like it like john mentioned water power which is definitely a a great example but you have a lot of the Avon Ruffies that feel like horror films, things like Taming of Rebecca, which are all kind of in that same rape category camp. I forgot all about the Avon movies. Who's the guy that's always in them? The, the George Payne. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is so scary. They did like live shows for those too. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen something like that. That's something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah, at some point... I know this is going to make you sad, but at some point we're going to have to talk about some of those early Andy Milligan sex films mm. because mm. That's, we'll how, well, that's how he got started was in that New York underground theater scene that sort of quickly like related to places like the Cafe Chino very quickly morphed into these live sex shows that if you stuck around for the after hours performance it was basically a live snm show that like you couldn't do something like that now in just like a regular old cafe on the street in greenwich village can you do even do something like that in a strip club today i feel like strip clubs is just like girls dancing and and you can get away with a lot of things 
in a strip club because there are private rooms. Yeah, and, yeah. right. But but I, yeah, but I just so is it legal? Absolutely not. But do people do it? Yes, all but the time. I just yeah. I guess maybe that's why I just don't because I never see it advertised. It's not like. Well, you're just not looking. You're right. I guess I don't know the lingo. <laughs> but I know my girlfriend went to Thailand, and she watched a girl shoot ping pong balls out of her oh, lady parts. Oh, that's a classic. That, right. That oh, that's, that's classic. But, like, oh, yeah. every time I've ever been to a strip club or something, it's just, like, shitty music and just a girl dancing with a pole. I really want to see one of those live octopus sex shows that apparently happen in Japan. Yeah, who fucking doesn't? We'll get there one day. Wait, wait. Phil and... All right, I'm... I'm I don't know about the octopus sex show. Just think about it, babe. They got fucking eight tentacles that do all kinds of shit. Wow. Whatever, whatever you okay. can imagine, they can do. And they're smart fucking animals. Yeah, they are. You know about octopuses, they can fit through any crack. Yeah, as long as like their beak get can get through space. it, right? Yeah, they can get their little fucking head jelly ball through something. They're, okay. They're getting I there. just want to no, I that's what I figured. I just wanted to be affirmed that it wasn't something buddy in an octopus costume or something. No, or... no, it's a lady and a real live octopus. But this is no ordinary octopus. So there are the things that we mentioned that do feel like these sort of really extreme kind of versions of Maniac, where they're just dudes indulging rape fantasies, things like water power, which I love. But there is also this whole kind of other realm. And I think A Woman's Torment fits into it, but there's also stuff like Story of Joanna uh, and Memories Within Miss Aggie, which Gerard Damiano made both of those. Another one that we will definitely have to do an episode on or else I am quitting this podcast is Through the Looking Glass. Yes, that's a great movie. It's the scariest movie ever. All right. If you thought the baby Rosemary orgy scene at the end was great, wait until you see Through the Looking Glass. Fuck yeah. And it has... It's also scary, though. Yeah, it's fucked up and weird. And it's got early music by uh, Harry Manfredini, who went on to do Friday 13th. And probably wishes to God that he was never associated with that. But (laughs) It didn't ruin his career. I mean, he... he, certainly didn't. But I do also just quickly want to talk about this 1970 movie called Janie that Roberta Finlay made. It's a hardcore movie, highly recommended. I don't think there are any official releases, but you can definitely find it on some porn sites. Uh, For those of you who don't know how to find some of these films and maybe don't use torrents, a lot of sites like Pornhub or Xtube have full versions of 70s hardcore movies and so that is a really easy way to see them not always the best quality but what can you do not just hardcore movies they have like random exploitation movies i watched it was a tigress of siberia on x videos one day just just because i could yes some cat three movies i can find on there it's a wonderful world that we live in sometimes but Janie is sort of an early run through of a woman's torment, except it feels like a weird hippie exploitation movie. It's about this girl named Janie who is supposed to be a high school student, even though the actress is clearly in her mid to maybe late 20s. And Janie's quest is to be reunited with her father, who she has a sexual relationship with. Lots of incest in Roberta's early hardcore movies. So Janie convinces her friend to play hooky from high school and to hitchhike so that she can get to her dad's. And it winds up being this natural born killer style adventure where she agrees to have sex with people so that they will take her places and then she kills them, then masturbates furiously at the thought of having just killed someone. Mm. And like, that's the whole movie until she gets to her dad Spoilers, people. Yeah, lots of spoilers. Chances are no one will be able to find this or watch it. But she gets to her dad's house. She tells him everything she's done. And he thinks she's making it all up as part of a sex game. And his girlfriend, who I believe is played by Roberta herself, makes fun of her and, you know, lives to regret it. It's so insane. What's it titled again? It's called Janie. Janie. From 1970. It sounds right up your alley, John. Yeah. But she has so many of these sorts of really melancholic films. Like, 
another one I just want to quickly mention is The Clam Digger's Daughter, which is basically Romeo and Juliet set at the seaside where this rich guy who I think is played by Eric Edwards falls in love with this poor girl who is a clam digger's daughter. Their families try to keep them apart. And so you have all of these really serious, tragic melodrama scenes that have kind of hot, convincing hardcore sequences. And at the end, Romeo and Juliet style, because they can't be together, they die having sex in a sinking boat. That's a that's a romantic way to go. Oh yeah. That's how Titanic ended. So I don't want to say that a woman's torment isn't unique, but it does frustrate me sometimes that people just sort of treat these films like they're cheap trash. And certainly in some ways they are, but there are so many great hardcore films that attempt to do really fascinating things. Of like the dozen or so hardcore films that I've seen, none of them were really much like A Woman's Torment. But I know, like we were saying earlier with, with Baby Rosemary, that ending where every single character in the movie comes together for this funeral side orgy, like, so fucking incredible. I mean, I was cheering when I saw that scene. <laughs> and and after watching The Devil and Miss Jones, I kept thinking about this plot, this Puritan woman who dies and is sent back to be a debaucherous hussy because she missed out on all the, the glorious aspects of life. And, you know, not to mention the double penetration scene, which you just fucking love to see it. But the real question, is the snake scene bestiality or not? It's not. Because there's no actual penetration. So is the snake's just there? Well, no, she masturbates with this. She has sex with the snake, basically. Oh. Uh, it's not a mammal, so it's less traumatizing, I'd imagine. <laughs> Right? Does that sound like a weird thing to say? <laughs> no, snake's got that fucking, you know, reptile brain. Right, right, right. Like if it's, you know, like a, a hamster or something, that would fuck it up. Okay, but what I'm trying to get at here <laughs> <laughs> is after, you know, watching A Woman's Torment, I didn't feel the same way that I felt after watching those other films, which is just a mixture of amusement and horniness. I felt gross gross i felt i kept feeling so sorry for the character of karen and just wondering what kind of trauma she went through even though she was you know a murderous killer in the movie it just it stuck with me in a very different way and even like the side characters are so casually detestable and my question is who was this movie made for I have no idea. I'm going to um, maybe maybe it was um, for the roughy crowd. I'd imagine even like the roughy kind of stuff even spilled into the slasher movie era. Oh, I yeah. feel especially a maniac maniac feels like it was a uh, it's just missing the insert. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that I think is really interesting about this is that it's not specifically made for the the raincoat crowd just going to the porn theaters. It's way more of a 42nd Street grindhouse type thing, I think. And if, you know, we've been throwing around the term roughies, and if you don't know what that means, it's something that started in sexploitation. So it didn't just start with hardcore films in the sixties, thanks to people like Herschel Gordon Lewis and films like scum of the earth, but Michael and Roberta Finlay made some of the first roughies. So it seems only fitting that she would, you know, continue the trend in hardcore. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I think I like some of these films so much is definitely the, the, to me, the major difference between this film and something like Damiano's Memories Within Miss Aggie is that Miss Aggie feels similarly kind of gross and it's really melancholic. You just feel really sad by the time it's over. But the sex scenes are hot because Damiano is great at shooting hot sex scenes. But here it's like the sex just makes you feel gross. And like that's kind of an achievement. In, in a way. The only scene that doesn't is 
early on when Karen first gets to the beach house and oh, it's yeah, right after she scene. has the murder fantasy in the shower she's interrupted by Michael Gaunt our good friends from Gates of Hell yep from episode one making his second twitch of the death nerve appearance Michael Gaunt shows up as your classic I guess it's like the pizza delivery uh, yes absolutely Uh, the power's out from that storm last night. He's got the hard hat on his head. But he's nice. He is. Like, he is, yeah. when, when he shows up. At first. Yeah, but when he shows up, because she's so freaked out, the first time I saw this, I thought, oh, we're going right into Ruffy territory, and this is going to be a rape scene. And it's not. He Like, he's very reassuring. He lights a fire for her. At, he asks her if, if she needs any food. And he really only pursues sex when it's clear that she's interested. That's why the first half of that scene, it's like six or seven minutes long of, of him fingering her and her getting off and her enjoying it. And she's having a sexual moment where she's enjoying it and is really just feeling herself. And it isn't until after she gets off and Michael Gaughan is like, all right, it's my turn now. And he crawls on top of her to, like, pump away. And she's she's not having it. She's like, no, 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 please stop. I was just trying to enjoy myself. Like, you can tell that now it's a rape scene. After one of the only enjoyable moments of sex in the film, it turns to this thankfully brief assault. Yeah, these movies also, this warning is possibly coming a little late in the episode, but... A lot of these movies have rape scenes of varying degrees of severity. The roughies are all about them and they're pretty graphic. But even a lot of the non-roughies have rape scenes that feel kind of tame, for lack of a better word. It's like if you've seen a bunch of these, you can watch them and not be upset by them. Although maybe that's just me having seen a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? what's also strange about it is that, I mean, the first half, it's consensual. So far, all the sex scenes in the movie prior to this, it's husbands and wives that are totally done with each other. They hate each other. Yeah. They're, they're cheating on each other. They just have this. And, like, and they don't even care. Right. Like, like the guy knows that the wife is cheating. He doesn't even give a shit. Right, right. Or, and, and she's accusing him of cheating, and we all know that he's doing it. And it's like they're all living these like empty lives. Yeah, these like shitty fucking bourgeois New York City fucking scumbags. And and they're the ones who don't want to help Karen. Right. And, and they don't. She's the dirty secret. She's the dirty secret. And when they put her in or when they talk about putting her in an asylum, it's not they're not avoiding doing it because they think it's like wrong or it's the right thing to do or whatever. They're avoiding it because of the embarrassment that would come along to their fucking lives over over doing something like that. That's something that I think you see in so many of these specific like regional New York psychotronic films is people are just fucking terrible and in so many different ways i mean if you think about some of the films we've already talked about like things like maniac and don't go in the house it's like the people are all terrible but if you think about the films as a unit it's sort of like they're terrible because they're driven to this place by poverty and violence and so they're all in this sort of like state of desperation but when you think about the middle class characters they're just fucking shitty. Yeah. They have no excuse. All I'm doing is fixing the power lines down from last night's storm. I had to check if your electricity was back on. Your front door was wide open. It was? Yeah. So I just came on in. There's nothing to be afraid of. Why don't you just put on some clothes and we can talk for a while. I got a little time. I get paid by the hour. Must get mighty lonesome up here. You want to know what movie this kind of reminds me of a lot? And it's on a superficial level. But have you ever seen The Slayer? Yes. It's It got the beach setting. Oh, yeah. The soundtrack is very similar. It's very, like, mournful. And you have a lady with this tragic backstory. Everybody's kind of like not talking about her problems oh, wow. or trying to ignore it. Yeah. Oh, and oh. they're very different, but very similar at the same time. 
I never would have made that connection. And I actually hadn't watched The Slayer until I think pretty early in quarantine. Be- I think because you told me to watch it or because you said it was yeah, good. It's an old favorite of mine. It's it's a bit slow, but it, it delivers when it delivers. And I think that tone definitely is in this film where it just has this kind of slow, strange quality where things kind of unfold at their own pace. So yeah. if you're somebody who wants a more mainstream Friday the 13th type slasher, this might not be for you. But if you've made it this far in the episode, chances are you probably like weird psychotronic cinema. And A Woman's Torment is just its so bizarre. Even though, as I said, there are some other hardcore films that try to do something similar, it's just so eerie. Not only that, it has these strange comedic moments that are almost slapsticky like i love how after she kills michael gaunt she gets visited by this amazing new york city character right you know the like neighbor who's just i'm just checking on everybody you know everybody else is gone all the houses are closed for the season why you're a very brave girl aren't you dear I mean, my late husband, God rest that man's soul, used to always say that a woman alone is like a foot without a shoe. You know, I've never seen this house before. I'll bet it's as beautiful inside as it is out there. Oh, let me, would you like to come in? Who, I mean, I don't know who she is, but I can tell that, like, because she has this, like, hat on and glasses on, that she must have been some kind of player in that scene or or something to that nature so it's marlene willoughby who i love who's one of the sort of staples of golden age of porn and is super hot so the fact that she's like, well, she's frumpy as fuck <laughs> she's made up well, she looks like a john waters character yeah, really oh, she yeah. Does. Yeah, yeah 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 like mink stole or yeah something. she's very mink stole like pushing her way the the best moment is like two minutes after she's pushed her way into the house, she tells Karen that she's got too many lights on. And instead of just turning the light switch, she reaches into the lampshade and unscrews the <laughs> light bulb and steals her light yeah. bulb. <laughs> right in front of her. <laughs> so bold. You got to so, respect it, though. So pushy. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> definitely with a lot of these early hardcore films i do think there is some of that like john waters energy oh for sure it's maybe a little more andy milligan than john waters but they're all kind of in the same general universe (laughs) hey my name is fanny fanny bretko but you can call me fanny what's your name dear i asked your name what's the matter are you ill i have a i have a weird question I'm, i'm slightly spitballing here too it's michael gaunt's rape scene that really pushes her over the edge, right? Yeah, well, you can tell that she was already there. She's already hearing the noises. But it was after that, like, especially after a moment of her experiencing pleasure and then immediately had right. that taken away from her. Because I'm curious about what the backstory is with her and her family wanting to put her away, even though her sister doesn't want to because it'll be shameful. Yeah. But, like, what event happened... That that I mean, like, what was the thing that she did where everybody is like, hey, she needs to go somewhere and get help? I like to think that it's part two of Janie. And so she's killed her dad. She's killed all these fucking people (laughs) and is now being sent to live with her adult sister who's having an affair with the world's worst psychiatrist, who basically the sister fucking tells the psychiatrist that oh, my sister isn't well. She went to stay at the beach house. Could you go talk to her? And he's like, yes, of course, because he's in love with this woman and doesn't want her to end the affair. So he goes to see Karen and within five minutes is having sex with Karen and has this great throwaway line where he's like, well... You know, if you were my patient, I could never be doing this. I could never think of myself as a psychiatrist again. Right now, I think you need a man's body next to you more than all the therapy in the world. <laughs> well, that's the, the thing. I was wondering, 
do they think she's crazy because she's a nymphomaniac? Because she, she, yeah, I think so. And they have this kind of like sex, right? Sex is something that you can't talk about in public. It's something that uh, well, I think their sex. It makes me think of those like new Hollywood movies about regular ass bourgeois people who are trying to have a sexual awakening and so sex takes on this performative component where we can do it and we can talk about it because it makes us seem open-minded yeah right but actually we're repressed and because karen's trying to have a million orgasms she's got to be locked in the upstairs bedroom tara chung who plays karen ran out of production halfway through with the movie's gaffer so she wasn't too far from Karen in the movie. And Roberta Finlay actually plays her for the rest of the movie. Every scene where you don't see Karen's face is Roberta Finlay. That's wow. so fucking crazy. She really did it all. Well, it's it's insane because so I did not know that. But I think I made a comment to Charles that Tara Chung is exactly the same body type and kind of appearance as Roberta. And... Roberta had this whole thing, and when I heard this story, it actually made me really sad, but she talks about how the reason that she got into acting in some of the sexploitation films is because she was afraid that if she wasn't there on set and wasn't involved, that Michael was going to cheat on her. And so, like, the mm. thought of this, like, 17-year-old girl agreeing to be in a, like, not, they weren't hardcore at the time, but agreeing to be in a a sex film basically just so her older almost serial killer husband wouldn't find someone else is just like it's devastating yeah. in a way that i think explains a lot of a woman's torment for sure for sure you can see roberta in a lot of her films i, I watched tenement last night which holy fuck is a banger it's, it's a, a banger banger what a wild movie i noticed this great connection between it and a woman's torment Remember the scene we were talking about earlier with the uh, the fake cum when the guy couldn't get off the end of the sex scene? <laughs> right. And they, and they had the straw shooting out like Elmer's glue. Yes. So funny. So in Tenement, there's the scene where some lady gets her throat sliced. And here comes that straw again. Oh, my squirting God. Squirting blood out. It's so fucking sick. It's just like... That's straw. It's the same straw. Rounds. It's yeah, the same, same straw. straw. So the fact that you said that, I put this quote in my notes that I wasn't really planning to bring up, but it I have to right now. So Roberta <laughs> once said, "You know the money shots in porn films? Well, this was just a different substance. It was red." Yeah. 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 Oh, and you can the see same it. straw. Can, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> she's got a fucking a handful of tricks and she's going to she's going to pull them. And it's funny because I think in A Woman's Torment, you never would really be able to see it or notice it if it wasn't in gorgeous Blu-ray. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This movie did look great. Vinegar Syndrome did a wonder. I mean, they, they do a great job with everything, but this looked stunning. Well, we're talking about blood. You want to talk about the end of Michael Finlay? Because it's, oh, yeah. it's a great uh, New York City demise. A classic one. All right. So a long time ago... You used to be able to take a helicopter from the Pan Am building to JFK Airport. Yeah. One time, the helicopter landed, and the people are about to get off, but its landing gear fail, uh, failed, and it slipped over on the people waiting to get on. And Michael Finlay was right the, the guy right in the first in line. What? He got his head chopped off? No, no. He just got sli uh, like sliced up really badly. I mean, Damn. he died. But no, Vic Morrow gets the gets the decapitation. A film by John Landis. Don't forget about William Girdler. He didn't get decapitated, but while location scouting, I think around the same time Michael Finlay died, maybe within two or three years, he also died in a helicopter accident. Wow. Yeah, I know he was like um he was scouting for something that was like big. It was like a movie that was gonna get him into the mainstream. Well, I can't remember what it was. It was Dune. Well, <laughs> William Girdler's Dune. Listen to me. The spice must flow. The spice has given me accelerated evolution for 4,000 years. Do you know where Michael Finlay was going? He was going to the Cannes Film Festival because he pioneered a uh, new kind of 3D, which we saw one of those movies that he pioneered the 3D for 
at the X Fest uh, Dynasty. The Kung Fu flick? Or Kung the... Fu flick, yeah. That was amazing 3D. Yeah, he found like a cheap way of doing 3D. Yeah, like, I remember when that movie started, I was thinking in my head like, oh, fucking great. I'm not going to be able to see this entire movie. It's just going to look like shit. But it was incredible 3D, you know, like Eat My Ass Avatar. That was that was something. Yeah, special. Dynasty is a million times better than Avatar. Yeah, no doubt. I've never seen Avatar, but oh, I've seen Dynasty. You would love it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. No, you wouldn't. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles made me Listen, watch it. James it Cameron's an auteur, awful. okay? He's making... <laughs> you got, you got <laughs> The Terminator. I can't think of... Oh, I, I, yeah, Terminator and Aliens are, 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 are tight. Terminator 2 is 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 cool. I like Terminator. I love Terminator 2. It's, it's, the, like, it's Terminator for like people growing up on Spielberg movies. Okay, but... this is basically sacrilege right now. This is an episode about Roberta Fennie. Oh, yeah. Hardcore <laughs> films. We can't talk about James Cameron. James Cameron was uh, a little bitch. Yeah, he 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 didn't make any hardcore movies. <laughs> James Cameron does not fuck. I don't know. There was hardcore inserts added to his uh, Piranha. Piranha Two is that why he? <laughs> that's why he quit. Because he's, like, he's a little bitch. Good news for movie fans: James Cameron says Avatar Two has finished production and filming on Avatar Three is nearly complete. All right, quickly, I want to talk about how amazing Vinegar Syndrome is, and just how gorgeous the work they're putting out is i mean a woman's torment looks great sam you've done commentaries for a few of their releases yeah i mentioned earlier uh nine lives of a wet pussy which is abel ferrara's first film i also have done some damiano commentaries with my dear friend heather drain who is an expert on all things hardcore you can find her at mondoheather.com. She has written so much great stuff about it. But yeah, they what I love about them is they treat the films with such respect. The restorations are gorgeous. They always get really good special features. And if you're skeptical about checking out 70s hardcore movies, they have released so much stuff that covers all these different genres. Like there are great comedy films like Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls, which is one of the best things in the a world. A classic. But also stuff like Roger Watkins' Corruption. You can find everything from hardcore spy thrillers to pizza shop comedies to corporate espionage stuff. Prisoner to- of Paradise is a favorite oh, of mine. Yes. Yeah, they are just... I can't say enough great things about working with them and honestly probably no one will hear this because it's close to the end of the episode but a lot of blu-ray companies are kind of shitty to work with like they're just they don't treat you very well they don't pay very well but i've never had that problem with vinegar syndrome they are kings beautiful packaging too like their box sets that they put out like I have the uh, homegrown horror box set. It's gorgeous. All their forgotten jelly box sets. They're they're not like your typical like the case is a big slip case. Right. They have this weird thing where like it's like a cigarette box kind of. Oh and yeah. You lift the, the lid off. Gorgeous. It's it's great and they they just beautiful artwork. Everything like that angel box which oh, Charles yes. forever thought that I owned oh. season one of the TV show yeah. Angel with David Boreanaz. Like, Next to like your like fucking nasty porn hardcore exploitation movies on the shelf, and I'm like, wow, Sam must really like Buffy. <laughs> oh wow, different uh, angel. They're they're just doing God's work. They really are. I so I don't even know where they find half these movies from weird rich people collectors who are just like stockpiling this shit since the 70s, and honestly, bless those people. Yeah. If someone could get the rights to water power sorted out, though, that would that would be great. But we also have to talk about probably an even bigger shout out would be to the Rialto Report. My favorite podcast of all time is so good. And their episode with Roberta. So Ashley West, who runs Rialto Report, I think is on the same level as Vinegar Syndrome. He's just this like tireless detective tracking down stories about hardcore performers and directors from the 70s. And 
the episodes are just so in depth and he's like relentless getting people to give him interviews. Like he, I think he said he called Roberta 14 times before she <laughs> agreed to do an interview. Yeah. And she hung up on him half the times. And then after he called her to thank her for giving the interview, she's like, hang up the phone right on him then too. <laughs> I love her. He doesn't put himself into the interviews either. You listen to a lot of interviews and like the guy wants to be like, it's sort of like when you watch a documentary where like the guy who making the documentary is the star of the documentary. Yeah. No, he's always in the background, just like right, asking the right questions and pushing the, like the conversation. Yeah. I recommend the, the uh, episode about the making of Centurions of Rome, where it's this big budget historical epic gay porn that was financed by a guy who robbed an armored truck. That's fucking sick. Yeah. A sexual revolution has taken place in America. We cannot deny it. It is here. We may now purchase on the open market those items that as recently as a year ago were hidden in closets and buried in bureau drawers. Pornographic movies, books, and pictures abound across our land. Four-letter words that were once relegated to dirty books are now appearing with increasing regularity in news magazines that now reach millions of American homes. Even daily newspapers, which once tabooed words like hell, damn, and son of a bitch, are now printing those very words. And by the way, when was the last time you read a bestseller that didn't have the word fuck in it at least one time? Sick. All right, yeah. Right, we can wrap things up here. Got a shout out, Liam and Josh over at Cinepunks. Again, Andrew Calvo, our man with the soundboard. Thanks for letting us borrow your shit, dude. And thanks to Vinegar Syndrome for <sighs> making this possible. Oh my God, we love them. This is my first year as a subscriber and it was worth it. Yeah, the shit they pump out, so good. All right, we'll be back next week to discuss a classic John Carpenter film. And that's it. Bye. Night, folks. Well, that was fun. That was good.